Welcome to the Micro Niche Mastery Podcast, where we help you establish yourself in the perfect micro niche so you will get noticed and grow your business faster. And now your host. He loves practicing singing with his 14-year-old daughter, and they often share songs from their playlists with each other. Zeev Ravid. Hello and welcome to the Micro Niche Mastery Podcast. Hi, I'm so excited today to share with you a double story, a story of both a micro niche success in the product field and also a story of micro niching on a specific problem with a service. Uh, let me introduce you to Phil Fraser from philfraser.co.uk. Hello, Phil. How are you? Hi, Ziv. Good afternoon. I'm great. How are you doing? It's great to have you here. I'm really excited about getting to the point in the interview where we talk about your service as a business founding board, which sounds really interesting and unique and, and specific. But before that, you also have a story, a success story of creating a product in a micro niche. Tell me all about that. Okay. So this goes, this story goes all the way up to 2000. And I... I took a, a business idea out to the market to get some angel investment for what would have been the UK's first ever pay-to-play online bingo site. That failed. We got no support whatsoever. But what fell out of the back of it was, a comparison, in effect, a comparison website for online bingo sites, for initially in the US and then eventually in the UK. And online bingo sits within the whole online gaming space. So within that, you've got sports betting, You've got online casino, you've got online poker, you've got online lottery, online slots. We stuck to online bingo throughout, and that was our niche. But the great thing about that was, if you think about the, those products I've just listed in online gaming, you know, casino, poker, sports betting, they're very male-orientated. So online bingo is very female-orientated. And pretty much in the early days, we were just left to it. Because it was such a different niche to every... It's easy to take a sports better and go, okay, you like betting on sports. Do you want to play online roulette? Or do you want to play online poker? The further step to online bingo is, for a lot of companies, was too big too early. So we were just left to our lane. And we became, by niching, because we were left alone, we became... a. The whole niche thing was very much a case of big fish in a small pond. This is fascinating. So you were basically doing like a website, and yep. I'm guessing a lot of search engine optimization, and you started to generate traffic, and you, tell me what was your monetization strategy? Okay, so we had, in effect, we actually had two business monetizations routes. One, my background pre-launch of the business was selling advertising in newspapers and magazines. So that was where I came from. So our initial business model was simply selling advertising space on the website. So it was a case of, we will advertise your product on this many pages for a month, and that's X pounds or X dollars, or we would do it by just by impressions. So we will run your banner until it's delivered 500,000 impressions, and that will cost you, again, X thousand pounds. So that was our initial model. And the other aspect of that initial model, in the very early days of online gaming, it was a bit Wild West, and there was some some interesting characters within it, let's say. So we ran with a, a prepayment model. So we said, you send us your money and we will then run your ads rather than how you would normally invoice a product. You know, we'll pay the product and, and you pay afterwards. And that was brilliant 
because that gave us fantastic cash flow. So that business, the initial business model was advertising. The model that the online gaming industry generally had within it was an affiliate model. And in very, very simple terms, that model works as you run our ads for free, but we will pay you back a percentage of the money we make from the players you send. Now, the reason that model works so well within online gaming is it's quite simple. Ziv, you signed up from my website. You spend $50, $100 a month. We get back $20. It's very straight line. It's very, very simple. And the beauty of that model, and this was fantastic about the model, was you're my player for lifetime on that brand. So if you keep spending month on month on month, I get money from you month on month on month, which is a great model on one hand. However, going back to the first sentence, I run the ads for free. If you don't spend any money, I don't get any money. So there's a a sort of risk reward. So we had two business models running. We had a straight advertising model and an affiliate model. And how long did it take before you started to be becoming really profitable and excited? It's interesting. The first five years of the business, we ran from home. So it was myself and my wife and basically a couple of freelancers. And when you start up a business, a lot of business books and podcasts and, and webinars say, you know, you've got to have your exit planned and, and you know, seed funding and A and B and all that sort of thing. The vast majority of people, I believe, set up a business to pay the bills. And then what comes after that is the added bonus. So for five years, it took us before we took on staff and an office. And I think that's probably the point where we go, okay, we've got a business now that's making money rather than just paying bills and and maybe buying a new car or maybe having a nicer holiday than going to the beach locally or something like that. So it's it's sort of growing. So it took about... I would say it took five years before we became a proper business or we saw ourselves as a proper business. What was the like the life, the, the year long uh, cycle for a business like this? Is it basically just writing more content and just getting uh, more traffic on, in it? Or did you experiment maybe with additional traffic sources like, I don't know, Pinterest or Instagram or anything of that sort? Bearing in mind the business, as I say, started back in 2000. So we were quite lucky in that SEO was very early. So, And those who, who know their SEO history, it was sort of gray copy on white backgrounds. So the search engines didn't see the words and, and keyword stuffing. And then we got into link exchange and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of our initial work was SEO. And it, eventually, we got in-house content writers. We got in-house SEO guys, partly because we were a zero investment startup. So we had no cash to spend on advertising. What we did do, we did a lot of email marketing where we exchanged lists with people. So we'll promote your product. And again, this is within the niche. So we've got a bingo, a client who has a pay-to-play bingo site. So he's got a database of players, some of whom spend money, some of whom don't. We've obviously got a database of a newsletter. So we would say, okay, we'll we'll market your product on our database. And then if you market our product to maybe even to, to people who aren't spending money. So it's no, you know, there's no cost to them. Look, these are dead players. These, these are players that don't spend. And, and we'll do it as a contra. So actually that gave us some inexpensive or cost negative or cost neutral marketing. And this is, I think one of the things that, that's interesting and one of the other things I now do is I'm an angel investor. A lot of the stuff we did was driven by the fact we didn't have any money. 
So you have to get creative in how you promote and market your product. If you've been given half a million dollars or a million dollars or $2 million by angel investor or VC, you go, yeah, fantastic. We've got loads of money to spend. And perhaps, I'm not saying everybody does this, perhaps you end up spending it in ways or places that you probably wouldn't if it was your money out of your pocket. So what happened to this business? I understand that you at some point did do an exit. Uh, tell yeah. us that story. So we grew the business. There was the initial website. We then mul- we created multiple websites and we ended up with a free game and we expanded into Spain and we expanded into the UK, all within the niche of online bingo. At no, Well, I was going to say at no point did we expand outside that. We did a three or four month trial to get into poker when poker started growing. And I don't play poker and I don't understand poker. And it took us about four months to go, bin that, can that. <laughs> we had a domain, which we tried to work on. We sold the domain, got out. So we stayed within online bingo. So 18 years later, so it's quite a long, people talk about, oh, we'll exit in three to five years. That's nonsense. Most people don't do that. 18 years later, we'd become the preeminent brand as a comparison website in online bingo. So we had an annual industry awards ceremony. We got that big. We wrote an industry report for the whole industry, B2B report. We advertised on TV, all within this simple niche of online bingo. So we became the biggest fish in this pond. And eventually, one of the, there was a number of aggregators within the business. One of them came to us. It's an Israeli company, actually. One of us came to us and, in effect, said, here's some money. And we said, okay, here's the keys. Bye-bye. And uh, I imagine this is like a secret information as for the details of the actual agreement of the exit. Yes, but it was when people launch their own businesses and, and as they grow, they do tend to get very, very emotionally attached to them. Whereas I'd always had, once we got to a decent size and it was generating revenue and it's generating revenue on a regular basis, I'd got to the point of, if somebody gives us enough money, I'm happy to exit. And these guys gave us enough money for me to be able to exit. So that was like a long journey, but ended sure. nicely for you and, and for your company. And all started by choosing carefully a very, very specific micro niche that you can actually establish your dominance in it. And you went going through the ropes of constantly optimizing your traffic generation and get got to the point where you had so much traffic you You were established in the industry as the number one, the biggest fish in the pond, and were able to even afford a TV spot and commercials and your own award. And all of this is just very inspiring. But what you do right now is also quite peculiar. Like you are offering this uh, soundboard uh, service. What is that all about? Okay, so post-exit, A number of friends of mine sort of came to me who have their own businesses and were saying, oh, I've got this issue. Can you help me about it? Or a couple of people said, I'm thinking of selling the business. You know, what does that feel like? What, you know, what's the process? All that sort of thing. And I love talking to other people about their businesses and I, I get quite enthused about it and all that sort of thing. And just by me just talking to people about their businesses, I thought, hang on a minute, this people seem to be getting a benefit from this and I enjoy doing it. So, hey, I could do this professionally. So somebody said to me, who's a business coach, said to me, you should be a business coach. Now, one of the things, 
entrepreneurs will always find is imposter syndrome. I'm just making this up as I go along. I just hope nobody finds out that I'm making it up. I had that, despite selling out and all that sort of thing. This guy said, you should be a coach. And I said, well, who's going to listen to me? Nobody's going to listen to me. But having these friends and contacts sort of getting a benefit from what I was doing, I said, okay, I want to do that. And within the, so what I do now is falls within the coaching market, but I don't push myself as a coach. There are too many people out there who claim to be a business coach, either because they've read a couple of books or they've been on a course or they've bought a franchise. I've been there and done it and, and run a business. So what I do is I offer what I call a business sounding board service. A lot of time when you are a business owner, you just need somebody to talk to about your issue, about your problem. Might be a problem, might be an opportunity. But often there is nobody there to talk to about it. And it's difficult. If you, if, as you grow a business, you, you take on a team and you take on other people. They come to you for the answer. You know, hey, Ziv, what, you know, what are we going to do next? What's the strategy for the next six months? In your head, you're thinking, I don't bloody know. I'm making this up as I go along. But I'm, I think I might do this or I might do this or I might do this. Guys, how do these three ideas sound as to our next strategy? Now, they're going to think, hang on a minute, Ziv doesn't know what he's doing. But if you've got somebody outside the business to go, Phil, I've got, can I just bounce this off you? I've got this idea and this idea or that idea. What do you think? And that's what I do. I work with business owners to help them become better business owners just by being a sounding board, by listening to them. I don't go, I'm not a sort of a business consultant who goes into a business and says, hey, your strategy is all wrong or your supply chain's broken or your HR's got a problem. I will talk to business owner about what they want to talk about. And they go, can we talk about this? Can we talk about this? Can we talk about that? And I will, I will ask the questions. I will prod and poke them. I will ask those stupid questions that people go, why'd you do that? Or why'd you do it like that? And they go, well, we've always done it like that. Or we did it in my previous company, so I carried on. And unless you've got somebody from the outside prodding and poking, you tend not to sort of query things. You tend not to improve things. And my niche is not only small business owners, and I position that between, and there's two ways I, I niche that. One is by staff size. So I use sort of eight to 20 as a staff size. and in currency, probably half a million turnover to 5 million. So that sort of middle growth bit, and that's my niche now. But it actually niches itself by the person who's going to come to me. Because unless you're a business owner who wants to improve, who's happy to hold the hand up and say, I need some help, and bearing in mind the sort of person who sets up a business always has a bit of ego about them, and they always know, they know right, so the, the niche is by my parameters of size and revenue, but it's also all, almost self-niched by the sort of business owner who identifies that they need some support and wants to improve. So this is uh, all very fascinating. It's almost like because your clients express vulnerability from the get-go, the type of people that are value being able to speak be able to be heard and to kind of brainstorm with someone that understand well a business in their type of levels, uh, then already you niche down to a relatively small, nice and small uh, group of people that, that are well connected to each other a lot of times. So those yeah. business owners yeah. in these levels, they know other business owners of that level. 
And the way you explained your service, it's almost like psychotherapy for on business. Like I'm not saying that you're a psychotherapist, yeah. but but it's not just about like, okay, so you will talk with me for three sessions and then we will be done forever because you don't need me anymore. It sounds like you've positioned the service in a way that provides value no matter how long you keep, as long as you're in business really, and you're happy, you could continue to enjoy this experience. That's right. And I've only been doing this for about a year now. And the way I see it developing is I might work with somebody for maybe six months and then they might stop and then they might come back in a year's time. And it's, it's actually, I've already seen it. Business owners need support at step change points. So it's, we all know business graphs don't just go from the bottom left-hand corner to the top right-hand corner. They often step. So you'll grow a bit, then you'll get to a, a problem issue or a, or a growth issue or a, an opportunity. And it's that step change that makes the difference. And actually, the, since I've been doing this as a service, the more I've realized, actually, in my business life, we had four or five major step change points. And at each one of those, I reached out for external support. So actually, not only have I sort of walked the walk as a business owner, I've actually walked the walk as a business owner who needed external support. And the benefit, and each time we did that, the benefits were huge because the last sort of external support we had was a guy who came in and, and entrepreneurs will recognize shiny new object syndrome. You know, oh, this is exciting and this is exciting and this is exciting. And I used to do that. And he did an exercise with my team where he sort of asked all of their opinions on the whole business. And one of the things I was told was, Phil, get out of the way of the business. Leave us alone, take all your stupid ideas somewhere else and just let us get on with the business. And if anything happens that we need your support, we'll let you know. But I couldn't see that. I needed somebody outside to get that from my team and do that. And we did that. I actually ended up creating a separate company to put all my stupid new ideas into. So it didn't disturb my existing company. And that worked brilliantly. So I can see the benefit of having an external support like a business sounding board or a coach or a mentor, whatever, however you want to position it. And they all do different things. But I can see the benefit of doing it. And what I do with my clients is the first question I ask them in every session is, okay, what do you want to talk about today? It's your meeting, it might be an issue, it might be an opportunity, it might be a problem. And that's the, I haven't got a set agenda. I haven't got a, a training schedule to go through or a, 10 different steps or anything like that. We will talk about whatever they want to talk about. And that's the support I can give. And the other benefit as well is I am independent of the business. So not only it's independent and it's confidential. So I don't care whether they do X or Y or Z because it's not going to affect me. Whereas if you were, maybe let's say you were talking to your sales manager about something, within the back of his or her mind, he's got a bias because he, he wants whatever the outcome to be to benefit him. Whereas to me, I'm just trying to give best advice. And that's what I hope to offer. Do you ever get to a point where your client asks for more specific advice where it goes more into the realm of almost like coaching, like here's what uh, I would do in your shoes. And uh, what do you do in this situation? Do you go that route? The answer to the question is yes. So I've had clients who've said, Phil, I'm thinking of doing this. One of them said, I'm thinking of doing this. Is that okay? Is that okay for business owners to do that? And they just want approval in some cases. In other cases, it is, I've got this problem, what should I do? 
And my question, I will not say, what I might say is, we had something similar. This is how it played out. This is what we considered. And this is what happened. But what I'd normally do inherently, I would just say, you know, okay, let's talk about it. You know, what are the, what's the upside? What's the downside? What are the pros? What are the cons? What else have you considered? Have you tried this before? All those sort of questions. And what I'm aiming to do is to get the client to get to the point where they walk away and go, right, I know what I'm going to do now, but I haven't told them what they're going to do. Fascinating. Uh, on the practical level, like, uh, do you meet them every week? How long are the meetings? It's not, I find, unless it's a very, very, very specific problem, and they go, Phil, I've got this problem, I want to talk about this, which I tend not to do. I tend to go, okay, let's do a sort of, and I don't sell, I don't sell it as packages, I haven't got a rate card, it obviously depends who the client is and what they want and all that sort of stuff. But a basic start point for me would be a monthly face-to-face meeting, and then interjected with that on a two-week point, a monthly phone call. So it'd be, let's say, on the first of the month, it'd be face-to-face, 14th of the month, it'd be a phone call, first of the next month, it'd be a face-to-face, et cetera, et cetera. Now, obviously, we've been through the pandemic, so some of that's been Zoom. I nominally put a time on it, but in, I think, every single instance, the meeting will go on longer than, than is, is set. And it's really down is down to the client. It's once the client has then covered all the points they want to talk about today, we'll go, right, we're done. And then normally the follow-up will be, okay, we discussed, you know, ABC last time. How did that get on? And they'll go, you know, we did this, this, and this. And they'll be, okay, I now want to talk about X, Y, Z. We'll talk about that, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very, very fluid, very, very flexible. The benefit is for the client, not for me. I haven't got an agenda to go through. It's, it's, their, it's their agenda. Is there any preferred or ideal industry for the qualified business owner when he's considering you for this soundboard service? What would that be? What type of an industry? This is a really interesting question because when I set out to do, when I said, okay, I'm going to do this professionally, I went through the classic, let's design a customer avatar, an ideal customer avatar. So my background is, is advertising and digital and online. So I thought, okay, we've got that sector. And the business size I got to, I thought, okay, I feel comfortable ad- advising at that size because I've been that size. And I thought, okay, I'll, I, you know, I'll go with that. My first client was way bigger than I'd ever been, was in a sector I knew nothing about and was multi-location. And I only ever had one office. So completely blew my client avatar apart. And that then brought me round to the point that I said earlier, which actually is the type of client is self-selecting. So the customer avatar is actually, it's not industry specific, it's, it's the type of person. It's somebody who wants to learn, it's somebody who wants to grow, somebody who, who will listen and take on advice. And actually, when you think about it, you know, most issues are either marketing, strategy, staff, finance, product. That's pretty much where your problems lie. And I've had all of those problems in all of those different pots. So the type of company it is, and the size of the company to a degree, is actually irrelevant because it's probably going to be a strategic issue or a marketing issue or an HR issue or a finance issue or a product issue. The way I see it, it's almost like what your client, your avatar is marathon runners. 
like business owners that consider business as a marathon run instead of a sprint. And if you're willing to look at your business like that and be vulnerable in the size that is relevant, then you would really get a lot from getting some external support. I want to thank you, Phil, for raising the awareness of getting support in your business and on, of course, the awareness for niching down. I think it's so important that people will know that there is help out there and that they don't have to be alone in all of these decisions, so many decisions every single day. We business owners, it's, it's quite lonely. And sometimes just knowing that you have someone that will listen and will ask you the right questions, the smart questions, and will help you realize what you should do, that actually builds confidence that will affect other things that you do as a business owner. So I think this is all really important stuff. And I want to thank you for being here in the Micro Niche Mastery podcast. Where can people go to learn more about you, Phil? Okay, so the easiest place to find me is my website, which is www.philfraser.co.uk. Don't go to the .com because .com is a medieval costume company. So if you land on a website that's got a, a man in a medieval costume holding a bow and arrow, that isn't me. That's not me. So it's .co.uk. On there, I've got a free newsletter, which I call the Nouser Fraser, because we have a brand here in the UK called House of Fraser. So I use Nouser Fraser. Or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn most days. Just search for Phil Fraser and happy to talk to anybody. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a paid for consultancy or anything like that. Anybody wants to chat, give me a shout. Happy to talk to you. And we will put the, the links for your LinkedIn and for your website, uh, philfraser.co.uk on our show notes at uh, dailycookie.co. So it will be super easy to connect with Phil. I want to thank you again, Phil, for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening for yet another episode of the Micro Niche Mastery Podcast. See you next week. This show was brought to you by dailycookie.co, where you can finally feel supported. Daily email love, now delegatable. Visit dailycookie.co for a collection of free resources on how to use copywriting and daily emails to grow your micro niche business today.